Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Hashtag SM Life. My name is Morgan Zupanski, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we are talking with Claire Friday. She currently lives in Las Vegas, Nevada, and she is a show caller and producer for corporate events. We're going to talk all about her trajectory to how she got to where she is today, her company, Done by Friday, how she markets herself and really thinks of herself like a brand, and what a day in the life of a corporate producer looks like on a general conference event, and so much more, actually. So let's just get started. Hello. Hi. Thank you for joining me today. Of course. Uh, So first and foremost, um, tell everybody what you're working on right now. Yeah, so I um, I like to say that I am a catch-all production girl. Um, I am currently now in the corporate event world and the corporate show producing uh, sector. And I do a lot of consulting for companies on a production basis on how to basically build a show from the numbers up to an actual execution process. Um, which is basically my bread and butter and what I've spent the last 14 years of my life doing. And I can't believe I'm saying it's been 14 years since I started on the production path. Um, But right now I I am also on my own. I have a company called Done by Friday, which is my, um, my doing business as and my alias. I rarely say that I'm Claire Friday, but I say that I'm Done by Friday. And um, that was something that came to my brain about two years ago. And um, I do a couple of things with it. I use it as a um, consulting business for people who are in production or people who are freelancers and want to understand how to balance life and what they want to do on a um, work-for-yourself basis. And the other part of that is actually just doing what I do in production as done by Friday. So it's kind of, it's kind of the best of both worlds, but it's something that I put my heart and soul into and, and I, I operate as that entity. So I definitely want to dive into what all of that means and how you got into that. But let's yeah. start at the beginning and just talk about how you started stage management and then just talk about your career path leading you to where you are today. Absolutely. So stage management was something that I basically fell into, for lack of a better phrase. I was in college and um, I was actually a dancer. I came from a big dance background and I did ballet and I, I was an Irish step dancer for 10 years, believe it or not. And I competed and that was my life. And I loved doing it. And I went to so many cities and won titles and, and it just made a life of Irish dancing. And when I went into undergrad as a theater major, I kind of thought I was going to go in as a dance theater major. And that was quickly um, turned around when I was a sophomore. And somebody basically said to me, here, here's a headset. I need you to jump backstage and tell people where to go. And I said, what? (laughs) I said, you want you want me to do what? And uh, I, I had no tech experience. I didn't speak the language. I didn't even know how to run, you know, a light board or a soundboard. I basically ran my laptop and that's all the tech experience that I, that I had. So they threw this headset at me and I, um, I ran back there and I kind of said, okay, well, I understand the show. 
There, I can tell people where to go. It's kind of like air traffic control for the stage. I can do this. I got it. And, um, and I hated it <laughs> to be honest. No. I, wa- <laughs> I walked away and I said, man, this is a hard job and I'm not really sure I, I, I want to do this. And, and then as I thought about it and, and I kind of sought counsel from some people, uh, they said, you know, you'd actually be really good at that. And I said, really? So I said, I'll give it a try. So I said, I'm going to not be a performance major in theater and, and be a tech major. And I was really stepping out of my comfort zone with saying that I was a tech major because that was not something that I had any experience doing. And even in undergrad, I was afraid to get in that world and and say, OK, I understand how to talk the lingo with a lighting designer and a technical director and an audio engineer. And I thought I could never do that. And so long story short, I ended up graduating with a theater degree in stage management and technical theater and then took a year off and um, worked at my undergrad and also at a a company called Opera Pacific, which is where I did my first stage management gig in opera. Um, And that was a world that I never even knew existed until I stepped into it. And that's where my love of music began and my love of stage management. Um, And from there, I actually loved it so much that I I pursued a master of fine arts degree and I went to the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana for three years and my specialty was stage management in opera. And I tell you, when, when I tell people that, they look at me and they go, how in the world did you arrive at that? And I said, it was basically technical theater, performance, and an orchestra all in one that made me stand there and go, where has this been all my life? All of these things are coming together and they're creating this amazing masterpiece. And I, you know, I didn't even know until I was in my early 20s that 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 existed. So anyways, I um, my background is mainly in opera stage management. And then as the years went on, um, I translated that skill set into more of a production management um, role that I did freelancing and also still dabbling in stage management in in opera and um, taking those skills and now doing corporate event producing and billing myself as a producer because I understand production and I understand how you basically take nothing and say, I want to do a show. What do I need? And I can tell you from looking at it exactly what you need. And now I'm able to speak the lingo. So when a technical director tells me, you know, They've got to run an E2 switcher and a, you know, graphics op and playback pro. And they're t- talking about all of these, these technical terms. I understand what they're talking about. And even if I don't know, I ask and learn from there. So um, it's a world that I never thought I was going to be a part of. And it, it really did sneak up on me. So, but my background is really in, in stage management. So let's let's go back for a second because I want to dive in a yeah. little bit deeper. So how sure. how did you shift from opera into this really cool world of producing and show calling for corporate events? Like I, it's not necessarily like a natural flip, right? So like, what was that yeah. journey like for you? Yeah, I get that question a lot because a lot of people in in corporate events come from either a hospitality background or they come from a sales marketing background. Um, and you don't really find people who are opera stage managers or state or theater stage managers who go into corporate events and corporate event producing. 
Um, but I always say, and I'll start here before I tell you how the transition happened. Um, I think that people with a theater background, especially in stage management and theater management, are some of the most versatile people when it comes to switching gears in the events and entertainment world. Um, I think the background that we bring as people with a theatrical mind and a sense of um, visual and aesthetic knowledge in making something look and flow correctly is a big skill that not a lot of people in the business carry. Um, and there are some great producers out there that absolutely do have that skill set, but it really does come back to somebody with a theater background because you are able to adapt all of those skills into any sort of world that has to do with entertainment. And um, the corporate event world is very different in that people kind of come in not knowing what they want and they look to you and they say, I want three bands, I want speakers, I want a juggler, but I have no idea how to put this together. And you go, aha, <laughs> I do. Um, but I kind of fell into that world knowing that I had a theater background and that when I look at a show, because it's really what that is, is you're basically dealing with a show. And what we do, opera stage management, theater stage management, dance, whatever, it is a show. And anything where you have an audience or you have a group of people that you're trying to entertain, it is a show. I mean, whether you have a musical act or not, you are showcasing something for a group of people. And the corporate events world looked very lucrative and, you know, enticing to me because number one, the money is good. <laughs> I'll yep. just call a spade a spade. The money is good. Second, um, you get to work with so many different types of people who are relying on you to come in and, and advise them on what to do and also to make their product look good. When you're a show caller, which is the terminology in the events and corporate world, they call you a stage manager sometimes, but it's mostly a show caller who sits behind um, the audience or, or front of house and calls the show. That person takes basically the show and does the entire show flow or run of show, and they basically tell the client um, how to best interpret a rehearsal schedule how to best interpret the show in real time, how to basically run it from somebody who doesn't understand how to run a show. Um, and you're more of an advisor and a producer, which is why the term also goes hand in hand with a corporate producer. A lot of producers call shows in the corporate events world. Not a lot of producers are actually there with the client, but it varies on it varies on basically the client and the type of show, but you call them producers as well as show callers. Um, and, and you're more of a person who is an aesthetic creator of that show. Um, and that's something that I basically glommed onto. And I said, wow, I can actually tell people what I think and actually be a part of creating this show from the ground up. And that's what you do. And you're actually the one sitting there calling the show, which is even better because you're not handing the reins to somebody else to step in in your shoes when you've been through the process all along. Um, and that's what I thought was great about it. And the other thing about my transition from um, an arts background to a corporate producing background now or path is that you really do get to be theatrical. 
I mean, it's, it's really that simple and it's, it's taking something that has a lot of, um, potential and creating a theatrical element out of it. And now I've learned, you know, from the background that I had in theater, um, that you really can take all of those skills and put them into a corporate setting and really be applauded for your work and, and respected. So it's, it's a good transition. Well, and the thing that I think is interesting about what you just said is I feel like a lot of people think uh, corporate work is soulless and it's just kind of like you go in, you make some money and you leave. But there is actually like, first of all, like what you were saying, you get to have creative input sometimes, especially if you're producing as well as show calling. You get to be a part of the process. You get to get creative because it's a live event. So you have to improv and trust your gut instincts in the moment. It's much more fluid than, you know, theater and opera where you are told what to execute and then you rehearse it over and over and then you put up what someone else has asked of you. Exactly, exactly. You're more of a player. You're more of a key player and, and your the reward is greater. Um, and then you're also able to make that your calling card. You know, I, I've got a couple of, of calls recently where somebody had said to me, um, you know, oh, I need a creative director. And I say, okay, what does that mean? Well, here's my dilemma. <laughs> I need somebody to tell me how to put this show together, what I need. I've got these clients and I really don't know what to do. And that's a very common question, believe it or not, in the corporate world because they don't have a show mind um, and they don't have a versatile brain in the way that that we do. And um, the other thing is we're, we're able to understand what it takes to put on a show we need a backstage stage manager. We need, you know, an audio operator. We need somebody who's a good graphics op or, or you know, who, whatever elements you add to the show, you can advise and say, listen, if you're going to do X, Y, and Z, you need this. And a lot of people need that guidance. And I think, you know, when you find the right client and the right show, it really is a great relationship and the payoff is is pretty spectacular. And also what you were talking about, about like they were looking for like a creative director to hire. Mm -hmm. Like I think the terminology, a lot of people scare away from when they don't know the terminology. And like, first of all, yes, there is a general base of terminology, like show caller and a switcher. Mm -hmm. But also like, you know, there are so many people that are making it up as they go along as are us really you know what I mean so some like it's okay to ask those questions because half the time what you think they mean is not even what they're looking for yeah exactly and I always say you know I I did not take the normal path and I don't think there is a normal path I did a lot of things in my 20s my early 30s and really all of that experience put me where I am today and a good producer or a good show caller or a good production manager or whatever you are called in the world of production, they need to understand what everybody does and they have to have spent a lot of time learning other roles and learning how to manage a team, um, learn how to organize a schedule, learn how to speak the lingo, um, understand unions they really need to know all of that information even in the world that I work in and even to consult because that is a wealth of knowledge um and you really do understand your team once you've seen somebody do a job or you've been in that job yourself um 
you know, you are able to talk to someone the way they need to be spoken to because um, you understand what they do and you understand how hard they work and you understand what it takes for them to put the, the effort that they put into their their position. So I always say, like, if, if anybody's wanting to do this or they're wanting to go into a production back or uh, go into a, uh, a career in production, you've got to try a lot of things and you you have to be able to work a, a lot of different positions to understand how the people at the top do it. I really, I really like what you just said. And I feel like this theme of taking chances and putting yourself out there uh, that we've already had throughout this conversation so far is so true to who you are actually. And one of the things that I really admire about you is that you're always doing what you want to do and you're doing it confidently and you are trying new things. You're putting yourself out there and you just kind of go for it, which is really inspiring. Yeah. You you have to have a do or die attitude. This is not a, this is not a, an easy business to maneuver and definitely working for yourself. I mean, it's something that I love doing. I, I, I will not go back to working for somebody else when I can work for myself and work for a lot of different people. I, I always have a boss somewhere. The boss is either me, somebody who is a client, someone who has hired me to consult or do a job for them. I have a lot of bosses, but they're different people and they're different experiences that all add up to my career. And I get to sit in my house every day and work in my home office. Um, and that's a luxury and a, a, you know, a lifestyle that I will never sacrifice. And I think a lot of people out there are afraid to take the leap. And I took the leap and it was the best thing I've ever done. So when did you decide to create your own company? I decided to create my own company. This boy, this was about six years ago. I actually did create my own company as an artist manager. And I did that for about three years. And I, if anybody listening is a manager, I commend you. That is a (laughs) tough job. It's a tough job. And one that I did for three years and I said, okay, that's enough. Um, It's a lot of just dealing with so many things flying at you. And I think it's one of the hardest jobs in entertainment is to be an agent and a manager. So I, I applaud anybody who's listening to this, who's an agent, you're, you're the bee's knees. Uh, anyways, I had a company then, and I really started to like the idea of running my own enterprise. Um, and from there, I kind of, once, once I stopped artist managing, I kind of had a gap in time where I didn't really have a business. I was just operating as myself um, and freelancing. And then about two years ago, I was sitting at home and um, my parents were actually out, come, they had come out from California and they were visiting me in Vegas where I am now. And they said, um, you know, you really have, they were just, you know, what parents do. They sit there and they talk to you and they say, you know, you've got all these skills. You know, all these people, you do all these things and, and you should market all that. And I said, yeah, you know, I really do hear from a lot of people, they wish they could freelance and be done by Friday. And literally my parents like sat up from their seats and they went, oh my gosh, you need to trademark that name. And I said, trademark what? And they said, done by Friday. They said, you are done by Friday. And that just stuck with me. Just, just 
it stuck in my head and I, I, I thought about it and I thought, this is, this could be a business done by Friday could be a business. I don't know what it is, but I could be operating as done by Friday. Um, and that is the done by Friday topic is a different conversation, but I basically went and created done by Friday as a DBA, which is the cheap way to incorporate yourself. I mean, there's a corporation and there's all those things that I won't get into. Um, but I started operating as done by Friday and now everybody just completely sees that name and they go, Oh my gosh, like that's your business. And I say, yeah, that's my business. And running a business is, um, a lot of work. It's a lot of hours. It's a lot of backwards and forwards and sideways. And, and you just wake up in the morning, you go, I hate this. And then you wake up in the morning, you go, I love this. It's never the same emotion. Um, on a daily basis. But what I can tell you is that working for yourself and creating a business is your baby. That's what I was told when I had an MFA is I, I graduated with a master's degree and people said, no one can take that away from you. And I thought, wow, that's, that's true. Nobody can take that away from you. And a business, yeah, if you do bad things, the IRS could probably come after you and take <laughs> your business away. We hope that doesn't happen. But it's yours. It's your name. You're the product. You're the person with a stamp on every single piece of paper that comes across your desk. Every person you meet, that is your reputation. That is who you are. But that's yours. You're not working for somebody else. You're working for yourself. Um, and that has been a great reward to me. Um, and I, I talk to any, anybody who thinks about starting their own business. I say, you know what? doesn't matter what you think the business is. Do it. Do it, and you will find exactly what you're supposed to be marketing yourself as. I want to go back to this idea of you are the product because, yes, yeah. absolutely, you are so good at branding yourself. And I think anyone that's freelancing really should be thinking of themselves as a brand. You're selling yourself, right? You're selling a product, which happens mm -hmm. to be you. And how are you marketing yourself? And what are you thinking about? I feel like, especially with all the social media nowadays and you know, there's like, it used to be like, do you have a website or do you not? And now it's like, do you have an Instagram? Do you have a Facebook? Like, oh yeah, how are you? You know what I mean? And I think yeah. it's so cool the way that you have always marketed yourself. Like even before you started your own business, I feel like you were always so good at that. But like, how did you choose to approach that for yourself? Well, I think there are a couple, a couple reasons why this is so big now and why I, I decided to do that. One is the times are changing. Let's just be obvious. Nobody is really taking a job and staying there for 25 years, um, in which case you don't need to market yourself. You're there. There's no reason to market yourself. Um, and unless you're selling widgets you on your own, you wouldn't be marketing yourself unless you were doing something for yourself. Um, but it's, it is important now with the hype of social media and the diversity in, in career and career choices, um, that you're able to be a brand on your own, your personality, your skill set, your name, you have to be a brand, um, for people to pay attention. And it, it's something that keeps happening over and over again and is getting bigger. I think is the fact that nobody looks at you, your resume anymore on paper and says, boy, they're, they're hired. Let me put them in this job. They look at your Instagram account. They look at your Facebook. They look at, they look at basically 
everything because everybody's Googleable now. You can Google somebody and their name shows up everywhere, you know, in in whatever avenue they've been tagged in or whatnot. And it's just nobody has privacy anymore. Nobody has privacy. So now you are trying to sell yourself based on what the Internet says about you and what Facebook and Instagram and and Twitter and all these accounts say about you. Um, and it's important to really set yourself up as a X or a Y or a Z or I do this, I do that. I do, I am a catch-all production person. I am a person who sells widgets. <laughs> I am a website builder. I am a this, I am a that. And self-promotion is the only way that you'll get people to understand who you are and what you do. Um, and to me, it just came naturally. I mean, when I was a kid, I hated hated talking to people about myself. I just, it was something that I basically had to take myself out of my comfort zone and force myself to do in grad school because I realized, you know, oh, if I want to work for myself or be a freelancer, I have to start getting jobs. How am I going to go get jobs? And that was the first thing that came to my brain was I have to go work. I've got to find work. And that, that translated into really networking and creating a, a message when I would go and meet people of, you know, this is who I am. This is who Claire Friday is. This is what Claire Friday does. And as I kept getting further and further down the production road or the world of entertainment, I would have to reinvent myself and say, okay, well, I don't do this anymore. I do this. And there are ways to tell people that you don't do something anymore and to just say, well, I'm not talking about it anymore. So I do X, Y, and Z because now I'm doing X, Y, and Z. Um, you have to be adaptable and you have to be willing to reinvent yourself and really say to people, this is who I am and I'm proud of it. And you can't be timid. You can't be shy. You can't be um, unsure of yourself. You, you, even if you are unsure of yourself, don't let people know that. <laughs> don't, just don't let people know that. You, you have to put on a face and you have to go out there and say, yes, I believe in what I do. I believe in the product um, and, and I'm the person you need to hire. And it's very, you know, those, those interview like surveys or what are those things on Facebook where they're like the top 10 ways to have a successful interview. I look at those things and I go and I scroll through them and they make me laugh because they go, you know, make sure you're dressed appropriately. Make sure you, you answer the questions, you know, confidently make sure you understand that the, per the in person interviewing you, it's just like, to me, I say, be yourself. And say, and literally walk in there and say, I am the person for this position. I am the person you need to call. I know my stuff. I know who I am, what I'm about, because nobody can argue with confidence, right? Like nobody, nobody can argue confidence. That is a trait that once somebody understands that you're confident in what you do, they're sold. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. And it's something that I think more people need to, if I could teach a confidence class, I would, that's a, that's a good idea, Morgan. That I should sounds probably teach, great. Yes. teach confidence class. Oh, I'm pretty sure every stage manager in the world would sign up for that. Well, that is a, the, the, done by Friday is <laughs> getting a makeover. So talk to me in, talk to me in a few months, maybe give me like six months and we'll see, see where that goes. But that's it. That I'm writing that one down. I like that's it. A good one. Yeah. Confidence is key. So when you go into a meeting or an interview or you're arranging to talk to somebody about potentially mm -hmm. getting a job, how do you 
make sure they know who you are? Like, what are the things that you say or think, or how do you present yourself? Well, first of all, I have a sense of humor and I'm personable. I don't ever walk into an interview or a meeting or anything pretending like I'm somebody that I'm not. And that's a, that's a, that's a big statement. You know, it's, we're, we're so, uh, worried about our first impression because, you know, the, 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 um, cliche is your first impression is your most important. You know, the first 30 seconds that somebody meets you, they understand who you are. And it's true by the, by the first time you walk in the door, somebody meets you the first 30 seconds, they have made up your mind about made up their mind about who you are. And that's the most important 30 seconds of the entire meeting, the entire interview, the entire, you know, lunch, dinner, whatever is the first impression and the first handshake, the first whatever, because it's all about business, really. I mean, unless you're going to go have a dinner with friends, it's all about business and it's all about being professional and conducting yourself in that way. Um, I think I want people to understand that I, that I know about the business, that I'm knowledgeable. Number one, number two, I'm able to be a, be somebody who has a sense of humor and what, what they do. And also to just be a regular human being. Um, and I hate that when nobody, somebody is not a real person and they come across as phony and they come across as just fake. Um, I'm not. And I, and I tell people that I go, you know, what you see is what you get. I'm smart. I know how to talk the talk. I understand relationships. I know how to build business relationships. I know how to negotiate. I know how to build budgets. I understand, you know, numbers. I, I, I get the entire picture. And, and I say that to them. I really do. If somebody is questioning my experience and my skill set, I say, I get it. I understand the whole picture. I understand what you are about. And if you, and if I don't know the answer and if I don't know how to respond to you, I will ask. It's as simple as that. And I think people like honesty and they like that transparency. Um, and being transparent and honest are, are things that are, um, that are rare. I mean, believe it or not. Surprisingly and rare, right? There, you, you wouldn't think so, but like, yeah. you know, authentic is such a yeah. trendy term right now, but it's mm-hmm. trendy for a reason because people have such a hard time doing it. Yeah, exactly. Being authentic is your, is your, your true calling card. And if you weren't authentic, I don't know what you would be. You would not be yourself, you know? Um, it, it, it's, it's really important. And I'm very common sense. I think we've, I think that a big part of society has left off common sense <laughs> completely. I think common sense has gone from, you know, a very important topic to something that's just completely lost. Um, and it, like I had, I, it, this is the, an example I'll throw out there. Whenever I meet somebody new or I take a meeting with somebody who I, I wanted to get a meeting with for a long time, after I meet them, I send them a card in the mail. It's like sending somebody a card is a social uh, move that I don't think a lot of people do anymore. And cards are just, they're, they're lost. Every time I go to a stationery store, I always pick up a box of thank you cards. That's my thing. Every time I walk in and I see a, bo- a box of cards that looks great or looks pretty or cute or whatever, I go, all right, great. Add it to my pile of business thank you cards. It's, it's 
it's like getting something in the mail, having something to hold on to it, it. That is still a precious thing that a lot of people don't do. Um, or they send you something that looks like they printed it on their computer and that 50,000 people get the same thing. Right. You know, it's just, it's, it's one of those things where yeah. I go, it takes you five seconds to write a card, put a stamp on it, put it in the mail. And, and I, I met somebody once. Um, I hope they're not listening to this podcast. They probably are, but whatever they, they said to me, you know, I don't have time to write thank you cards. And I said, you don't have time to thank somebody. You don't have time to put your handwriting on a card and thank somebody. And I thought that was just so impersonal. Um, and it's like I said, to my point, it's common sense. It's common sense. And um, having common sense and being transparent and being authentic and being yourself, it, it, there's no better way to market yourself. That is key. And it goes along with the confidence, um, you know, topic. And, and, you know, that'll, that'll be in the seminar <laughs> that that topic being authentic <laughs> and writing thank you cards will be in the seminar that I'll be promoting in six months. So stay tuned. <laughs> Claire, I love it. You're going to be the new Brene Brown. I know, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Me and my own TV show. Hello. Netflix special. <laughs> right. Um, I know. So I want to talk about your blog for a minute. Yeah. What yeah. inspired you to start that? Um, wow, that's a good question. What did inspire me to write, write my blog? Well, I, when I first developed done by Friday, somebody told me that it should be a management plan for businesses. And I looked at it and I, you know, I wasn't a hundred percent convinced on that direction. And so I wanted to make it more personable to people like me, you know, when they say, when you're an author, write about what you know. And I, I, I looked at myself and I said, well, what do I know? What do I know about this life that I live, what I've created, how I've been freelancing. And I sat there and I went, I should probably write a blog. <laughs> and at first I hated the idea. I thought, oh, I'm not a blogger. I can't, you know, I can't even figure out how to make a blog. It was just one of those moments where I thought, I just, that, no, it's it's not going to happen. And I, I said, I denied that I even should do it. And I waited for a couple of weeks and I just wrote one entry. And I, I, I made myself a website and um, I thought, okay, I'll just do it. And I wrote one entry and I put it live on Facebook and I thought, well, nobody's going to read this. And I had like 50 reads in the first day, like 50 people read this thing. And I thought, wow, 50 people read this. This is great. Um, this is fantastic. I'll just keep doing it. And I just basically did it for myself. I didn't do it for anybody else. I thought, well, you know, if somebody out there wants to work from home or they want to learn how to be, um, you know, out there pounding the pavement, doing what I do, I'll share with them how to do it. And then I just started blogging. And I called the blog Done by Friday, and it's still called Done by Friday. Um, and then from there, I actually had interest from a publication called Las Vegas Magazine, which is a big publication here in Vegas. I, I met with them, and they said, you know, you can write. And I, I sat there, and I went, I, well, I'm glad you think so. Yeah, I guess I can write. <laughs> and to me, I thought I never saw myself as a writer. Oh, gosh, if my mom and dad were listening to this, they, you know, my writing in, in grade school was – has come a long way. Let's put it that way. 
Um, I've come a long way with my, my tone and my, my writing skills, but now considering myself a writer has never been anything that I thought I would be doing. Um, and I actually got a, a column published in Las Vegas magazine in the past issue. Um, and if you go on Las Vegas magazine ma- magazine's website, you can read it, um, if you'd like, and I'm going to continue to write for them. So that's exciting. Um, but it's, it's great. It's actually writing, I think is a very therapeutic thing to do. If you're wanting to share your knowledge or share your experience with people, I mean, you could be a teacher. There's so many ways to do that. But for, for me, writing is still something that I look at and I go, wow, that's really, that's really cool that I'm able to say that in words and I'm able to, you know, make this live and have a publication, pick it up and run it as a career section in their magazine. So it's cool. It's really, it's really something else. And it's very, it's something special to me. And I I look at it as a, a special um, thing that I'm able to give to people that are in my position or want to be in my shoes and say, here's what I know and read it, you know? Congratulations to getting picked up by that magazine, by the way. Thanks. Yeah. And everyone should definitely go check out the article. It's it's great. I loved it. It's about facing criticism and like dealing with feedback and just how you take that in and process it. And it's very helpful. Thank you. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I think it's it's a really helpful article and it stays so true to the, you know, the bigger themes of this whole episode actually, in just taking risks and trusting your gut and being confident and just doing what you feel is the right thing for you in that moment and just taking some chances. Yeah. And, and life is so interesting in how your path kind of figures its way around the obstacles you face or even, you know, roadblocks in your career. When I was, when I was coming out of graduate school, I thought, you know, I'm going to have this all figured out when I'm 28 years old. And then 28 came and I didn't. And then 30 came and I didn't. You know, there's, there's, there's so many things you can do with your life. And, it, and it's not something that is the same every single day. And I think the journey, as, as now I would say to my younger self, which is something you asked me about earlier, um, if I were to look back and say to my 20-year-old self, you know, or, or my 20 year old self were to, to look into the future, I don't think I would have been as nervous at, because I was so nervous getting out of, you know, the educational world and, and getting into the professional world. And I was so nervous in my twenties saying, Oh my gosh, like, am I doing the right thing? Am I going the right place? And then if I didn't like something, I'd say, all right, I'm not doing it. And then I'd go, well, do I really think I should have not done that? And now it's like sitting here at, you know, 37, I sit here and I go, yeah, all of that was was the right move. Every single every single thing I did was the right move. And um, you just have to stay the course. My dad is always the best with giving me this advice when I say something like, well, I don't mean here I am 37. I hope, you know, I can accomplish X, Y and Z in the next five years. And he says, just stay the course. That's all you have to do. And I think a lot of people get so anxious about, you know, beating themselves up for not doing something at a certain age. And yeah, age is just a number. I don't try to say that, but um, you really just do have to stay the course. And things that you never even thought of will land in your lap. I mean, you know, I got the Sundance Film Festival account 
on a whim and it wasn't even anything that I was even looking for. It was just a, oh, I gave them your name. And then all of a sudden I was, you know, working on the biggest events um, evening of a film festival, probably of the year, you know, it just, it, it just happened. Um, and you, you just have to just stay the course and things will come. People will call you, you'll meet the right person. It, it's just all about just momentum and, and momentum is even if it's a little bit forward, even if it's not full speed ahead, even if you move, um, it's, it, it all pays off. It's like taking an exercise class, you know, or you're, you don't want to work out. You haven't worked out and you're like, Oh gosh, I don't want to do this hour long workout. And you go and you feel good and you go, okay, I did that. Now I can do it again. You know, it's just little by little, it's just momentum. Um, and making yourself goals that are achievable, not crazy goals. There's a difference. <laughs> There's a difference between achievable goals and goals that are just like way too outlandish that you can't even conceive of accomplishing them in a certain amount of time. But um, it's all about moving, all about moving forward. I think that's such a good point. I feel like as, you know, as stage managers, a lot of us get wrapped up in, well, we're working towards this thing and we're working towards it. And that's kind of like our end goal. And a lot of yeah. people talk about an end goal, which is great to have a focus, but I mean, just speaking for myself, I, you know, have hit a couple of my end goals and I was like, oh wait, I thought that was going to take a lot longer. Yeah, like, right. That's so cool. And like, now what am I doing? <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. So it's, I like this idea of like, you just have to keep pushing forward and, you know, trust a little bit that things are going to come to you as they are going to serve you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Which can also be very scary. I it sounds easier than it is. I get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, the, the main the main thing is, you know, you you have to. It sounds cliche, but you have to believe in yourself. And this world is so bad at at just you know making people feel like they're worthless in a lot of areas. And we, you know, we've got to be this. We've got to be that. We've got to have this. We've got to have that. Um we've got to look like this person. We have to brand our business like this person. And it's so not true. I, it, it's, it, you have to just be yourself. If that's any, I mean, that goes back to the point of what would you say to your younger self, be yourself, you know, and don't worry about what other people think of you. I used to be so afraid of what other people would think about me. I, I just, I would just cringe. And now as I have continued doing this, you know, living in this life and doing what I do, that is meaningless. What, what other people think about you is, is, is meaningless. Whatever other people think about your appearance or how you do things or the way you talk, you know, the way you, you handle a situation. I mean, your biggest supporters will always be your biggest supporters. Let's get that straight. There are enough people in this world. You have people that have your back. It, you will have supporters and those people are the most important people in this world. I mean, believe me, if there's anything in career training or business training that is not spoken of enough, it's the people that support you are your biggest, biggest fans. And those are the people that you have to stick with. Um, I even now have mentors that I, that are not in this business and it's good to have an extra set of eyes um, outside of the world that you work in 
of people who just know you. And if you, you know, say, you know, I'm struggling with this, they can say, all right, don't beat yourself up. Or yeah, you might want to take a look at that and see how you can improve. Um, those are the people that, that are, that are the, the people that you, you need to stick with. Um, and I think that those relationships are key and there are some relationships that are not key. Um, you can't please everybody. That's another thing. You can't, you can't worry about what other people think and you can't please everybody because you won't. Yeah. That's the, that's the honest reality. So when you started working more in the corporate events world, do you feel like there was any pushback from the opera stuff that you were doing? Or do you feel like as you've moved forward in your career, you've been able to maintain relationships in other genres? That's a really good question. I think in this business, we are getting to the point where people are starting to make transitions in a different area of entertainment or production. I don't think five years ago that was the case as much. I think it's, I think it's becoming very, very recent. Um, and some people get it and some people don't. And I'll say that for a reason. Um, it's hard for some people to want to say, you're doing a great thing or I really respect what you're doing because they don't understand that world. Or they, or they look at it and they go, that's not something that I would even want to be in. I still talk to a lot of people in the business that I used to work in, but and, and I think that, you know, outside of that, there's a, there are a lot of people that are happy for me, you know. Um, but I think that that being versatile is something that that a lot of people don't know how to do. I or or they they do and they they do and they don't want to. Um, but I always say that my biggest, my, the biggest years of my life were in the opera business. I mean, that was really key opera and orchestras and the whole arts world gave me my start. Um, but you know, even if anybody's listening to this and I haven't talked to you in five years, I hope you're doing well. You know, it, it, we all choose our own path. We all choose what we want to do. And, and the most important thing is just be happy for other people and what they decide to to lean towards. So uh, last question for you, actually, uh, until I have more questions. Yeah. Um, for anybody that's looking to get experience uh, specifically in corporate work, whether they're already working in another genre or they're just coming out of school, how would you suggest they get started? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I always say decide where you think you want to go because you don't have to know, but you have to have some sort of a clue um, and find out who those people are and don't be afraid to reach out to make a connection. Even if it's coffee, even if it's a phone call, even if it's a walk in and shake somebody's hand and say, this is who I am do you have two minutes? That is key. We're so stuck on email. We're so stuck in our computers. You know, everything now is email. You have to break out of that normal comfort zone, that normal way of communication and communicate and try to meet somebody in person or try to even make a connection with somebody, you know, be persistent, being persistent in the right way will absolutely pay off. Well, and I think it's it's funny to me 
how rare it is for somebody to follow up after they have coffee with me because I, I okay. always followed up and I thought that, duh, like you want a job, that's what you do. But the yep. amount of people that will reach out to me and want to have coffee and ask me about something I've done and then they'll be like, cool, great, I would love to send you my resume and I'd be like, great. And then I never hear from them again. It's shocking. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is shocking. I mean, it, the, the art of the follow-up, as they say, which is really an art form, following up is, is really, really a key piece of doing business and marketing yourself. Um, and it's, it, it, when you learn how to follow up and do it correctly, it's gold. Just like business relationships that you hold, you hold and you keep to yourself, those are gold. So is the art of the follow-up. Very important. Uh-huh. Uh, I realized one other question I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Um, I would love for you to kind of talk about, I mean, it's general, generally speaking, and I know each event is different, but uh, for somebody who's never done a general, let's say like a conference corporate event, like what mm-hmm. does that process look like for you from beginning to finish? Sure. Uh, that's a good question. First of all, um, you have to understand the client's um message and what they want to bring to their event. And that's, that can come in a form of different ways. You find out what the company is about. You find out what their session is about. There's a theme, there's an overall theme to everything. Um, and what happens is I basically sit down with this client or with the company that's bringing me in to work with this client and say, okay, So what is your show format? What are you looking to accomplish? If you have a three-day conference, if you have a two-day conference, if it's a one-day, what's going to happen? And they look to you, they kind of start building a timeline on their own, but they really look to you to basically make, finesse that timeline and finesse that show, that run of show. Um, And you come in and you do that. And then you also make sure that you understand the crew timing because there's always a crew involved. You understand the union, if there's, if they're union and they're non-union and what that looks like. And then also you understand, um, who the technical director is and that person, this is, this is kind of a shift from the arts world in the arts world. You have all of these different people. You can have a production manager, a production stage manager, a technical director, a head carpenter, um, director of production. You have all of these production people trying to get this thing off the ground. When you do corporate events, your technical director is basically your production manager, your technical director, your, um, you know, lighting guy, your audio guy, the guy that has all the technical knowledge and all of the, the production mindset on a crew basis and a build basis, building your stage or your set or whatever, they are your god. And they are the person that you look to the entire process and they are your team player. Um, and that's, a, that's kind of a shift that I, that I learned when I went into corporate events is that the TD holds a very high position in the world of corporate events. Um, and you and the technical director work together to basically get the crew in place, all of your operators, whatever they're operating you also get the schedule together, the loading schedule, the the schedule for rehearsals, if there are any executives that are speaking, what that looks like. Um, and then you basically build out the run of show. And that's a, it's a team effort. I mean, you and the TD have to be on the, the technical director have to be on the same page. 
um, because you two are really driving the show and driving the process. And what you do is you check in with the client and say, okay, this is where we're at. Take a look at this. What do you think? The client makes adjustments um, to any scheduling. They also may say, well, our budget is X, so we can only accommodate this. Um, you have to account for overtime because there is overtime. Um, that is something that you have to keep your eye on strictly. There are strict breaks that you've got to account for. You basically have to be the eyes of the entire process from a, from a show and crew standpoint. Um, a little, if you get deeper into the way the event works, sometimes the client will bring on an events company to drive an event portion of the, the conference, whether that's a dinner that's held at the venue where they're at um, you know, little breakout events that they're doing with their, the people that are attending, they may hire another company to do that, or they may hire you to do it. It depends on their bandwidth and what their budget is and what they can allow. But I will usually come in and do both. I'll either just do a show, call a show for them, work with the TD and make a schedule and do all of that. Or I'll come in and say, okay, you know, I'm going to do your entire event, which is what I'm doing this coming Friday in, in Vegas for a client where I basically am running their show and I'm basically doing their event for them. Um, and you can take on many roles or you can do one of, of three roles. The, the point here is that your client communication is very, very detailed when you are doing a corporate event because they're the king. The client is king. Um, and what they want is what, what you want to produce for them. They, they are putting out a product that you are supporting and you are producing. They're really the one that, what they say goes. Sometimes you have to advise them on how to do something a certain way, but in the end, they are the person driving the entire um, process. But you are the one with the expertise in putting everything together that they would normally not touch. Um, it's very different than the arts. The arts has an army and corporate events has an army, but it's not as big, um, which is, is, you know, makes for long days and, and, you know, lots of, um, lots of work, but it's like, like we'd said in the beginning, it's fast and furious and then it's over. I'm realizing we should also talk about PAs for a second. Yeah. I feel like PAs in theater is a very much a like beginner level position and in corporate events, at least like in my experience, I feel like it's because it's so much more fast paced and like hit the ground running. First of all, mm -hmm. when I've been hired as a PA for corporate events, it's usually more for the producer or the producing company than it is specifically for like the show caller. And also like I'm usually given responsibilities right off the bat. Yeah, right? absolutely. Working as a PA is a very tough position because I've done it so much. Um, and I used to do it in television when I was, starting out in the business, um, because there's an industry standard that says PAs, we can work and work and work. And to me, a PA is more of a learning position or a position that is a much needed assistant position rather than just having somebody as a runner, making them do errands. Because if you're going to teach somebody this business, and I'm, I guess I have a teacher mentality because I came from a big education background. Um, I want somebody to learn from what I do and I want to train somebody and not just basically say, here, go get this food for this team and bring it back. If I'm going to hire a PA, I'm going to want them to see exactly how it goes. 
experience exactly the amount of hours they need to experience on the job, whether that's 10 hours, 12 hours, 17 hours. And I also want them to learn how to work with a team. Um, and I, I've brought PAs on where I've kind of said to them in the beginning, I'm not going to hand you a to-do list and go put you in your car and make you run errands. That's not what I'm going to have you do. I'm going to have you be my assistant and you're going to follow me around all day long and I'm going to show you things and I need you to pick it up and learn. And some people have given me these looks like, oh, that's awesome. Great. I can jump right in and do this. And there are other people that look at me like a deer in the headlights, like (laughs) you're going to do what to me? But it it really is. I mean, it, it really, really is a position where you can either come in and say, okay, I'm just going to basically sit here and go on these errands for people and then come back and sit here some more. Or you can actually say, I really need to learn why I'm here and who these people are. And when I was in TV, um, this was about eight, nine years ago, I took the opportunity when I didn't have something to do, I would go visit the TV truck or I would, I would visit the, the, you know, the staging supervisor. I would visit the producer and I would talk to all these people and find out if this was even what I wanted to do. Um, and just say, tell me what you do and tell me who you are and tell me what this is. Um, and I don't think a lot of people treat their PAs that way. They kind of just think that they're people here doing jobs. Um, and I don't see that. I think it's more of a training position for eventually doing a job in production. And I, I was very fortunate to have worked with so many people when I was a PA um, who said to me, you know, you can either walk in here and not do this, you know, you know, do your job and just leave, or you can come in here and learn these things. And there were people that taught me and I learned a lot in those years of being a PA and even just, you know, even when I was like, man, I can do more. And I was always frustrated. You know, I can, I can do more. I don't want to just be a PA, but then I would say, okay, I'm a PA. Fine. Let me use this opportunity to learn what I want to do and where I eventually want to be in 10 years from now. Um, and it varies on where you go. It varies if you do corporate events, if you do, you know, theater, if you do opera, if you do TV, PAs will be used in different, you know, different ways. You can be the assistant to a producer, you can be the assistant to a production manager, or you're basically just hired by an office coordinator on an event and they tell you what to do and they, then you sit there the rest of the day. I always say being a PA is really up to you. If you're hired as a PA and you come in, you have to expect anything being thrown at you. But what you do with the time and what you do with the knowledge and resources that you're shown and given on site, that's up to you. Because how you PA is how you will do every other job that you're ever given. Um, Because it starts with just walking in blindly and going, this is a whole new world or I've only done five hours in this world before, and now I'm here for a 10 hour day, how you use that time. If they're not putting you through the ringer, making you do errands and working you, working you every minute of the day, who can you talk to? Who can you shatter shadow? Who can you walk up to and say, I'd really like to get your business card and reach out to you. PAing is basically paid work to learn. Yeah. And it is, it really is. 
I 100% agree with every, like, I was just over here, like, nodding my head. Yes, 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 I agree with everything you're saying. I think it's so, it's so key and it's so important that, like, you know, even for the people that hire PAs because they want them to be runners and a body to go and do all the errands where no one else can leave the set, but they think the PAs can. Even on those jobs, which I agree suck, but everybody needs to do them at some point. Like, Oh, yeah. It's, again, what you're saying, like how you PA is how you will approach every other job. Are you going to be That's that right. PA that asks questions when you don't understand an order? Are you going to be that PA that labels all the coffees with the names when you get a list? Or are you going to be that PA that like handed a list to somebody, brought back 10 coffees with no labels and said, here you go? You know what I mean? Yep. Like people exactly. pay attention to that. And that's the difference between like, you know, someone who will then say, hey, do you want to stay on set and learn for 10 minutes? Or, okay, great, could you go fix this problem? You know what I exactly. mean? And it's yeah. so key. I always thought of peeing as like a chance to get my foot in the door. It's very much like all I need is to be in a room with people and I, I can make things happen. I strongly believe that. And I think that's true for anybody. If you get your foot in the door, do something with that. Kick yep. it open. Yep, exactly. Exactly. You're right. You're right. And And it's you know, even in the PA jobs that I hated, and there were some, there were some ones that I could tell you stories. I left going, thank God I never have to go back there. I'm even in those looking back on those experience. I went, you know, if I didn't, if I had to have done that, I wouldn't know what to look for in a bad experience because every experience teaches you something, whether it's good or whether it's bad. You can even walk away from something going, man, I know not to work with that team again, or I know not to work you know, and do, you know, or I know how to look for something and deal with it. I know how to deal with a situation or talk to somebody and, and everything's an experience. Um, and there have been just some jobs that I've worked where I've gone, man, that was, that was an experience. And that has, has basically taught me everything. But yeah, if you go out and PA, it is, those are some years that really teach you what you want to do. And you don't even know, You don't even know (laughs) until you try it and you go out there and you do it. And then you also need to know when to stop saying that you're a PA. That's another big, that's a big decision. You know, I worked for a producer in television a long time ago who, um, you know, I, I was PAing for a while because I was doing it in between stage managing. Um, I would be home in LA, um, and then I would have a job and I'd be on the road and then I'd come back and I would basically fill my time PAing in, in TV. And there was one day where I, um, you know, I, I looked at this producer mentor friend and I said, so at what point do I stop PAing? I just asked him this question and I said, what, <laughs> at what point do I say that I don't PA anymore? He said, well, he said, when you decide you don't want to PA anymore, he said, when you decide you're a production coordinator, then you're a production coordinator. He said, it's up to you. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. And he said, you could be a coordinator now. And I said, well, I guess I'm not going to PA anymore. And I kind of just made the decision on the spot. I mean, I only worked in TV for about four years. Um, but I said, okay, I don't do that anymore. I do this. And it's, it's very hard because in freelancing, your income is based off of how much you work. It's not based off of, you know, one job. If you can do have one job that makes you an income, fantastic. I applaud you. But freelancing, you as long as you are working, you are making an income. And you have to learn to say no, which is hard. You have to learn to say, I don't PA anymore or I don't do this. I, I can sh- tell you about somebody who does, but I don't do that. And that's a hard 
that's a hard conversation <laughs> to have with yourself of when to say, I don't do this. I don't coordinate. You know, I, people call me for production coordinator jobs and I go, I'm not a production coordinator. Do you know anybody? Yeah, I do. But I'm not a production coordinator. You know, you kind of have to like, just say, thank you, but I, I don't do that. Um, and, and that's something that you have to just train yourself and figure out, like, am I ready to say this? Because you'll have to turn stuff down. And it's, it's, it's a war that you create with yourself because you understand how the freelance life works, which is another podcast topic. I think we have to, I think we have to do a freelancer podcast (laughs) discussion. Yes. Well, and you know, I think this goes back to a lot of the things we've been talking about throughout this episode, just like, it's going to be so hard to say no to those jobs, but also like as a freelancer and as someone who is hustling as hard as we are, if you aren't happy doing something, don't do it because you could yeah. be unhappy making a lot more money at a nine to five d- day job with like weekends if you really just want to make some money. You know what I mean? So yeah. like the second you're not happy paying is the second you should stop. Absolutely. You know what Boy, I mean? That's true. Gosh, that was something I should have said to my younger self too. And and there were times where I wasn't happy and I stopped doing something and I was happier because I stopped doing it. Yeah. Uh, and like, sometimes you're broke, but that's maybe okay. You know what I mean? There are yeah. times to be comfortable and there are times to get really uncomfortable. That's true. I, I worked for a full time. I, I did events full time. This was about three years ago. And I, it was during the heavy election season and I was on planes just every single week. And it was two years of my life where I, that flew by in a nanosecond. It was amazing. It was an amazing two years. I think I basically went through boot camp for two years and, um, worked in the events world, traveled, just worked and worked and worked. And I, I literally had a moment where I sat, like I was in a hotel and I don't even remember what city I was in, to be honest. I think maybe it was San Francisco. And I, and I sat in my hotel and I sat looking out at the city and it was gorgeous. And I said, boy, I've got a great life right now, but I'm not happy being on planes every single week. And that's when I decided to go back to working for myself. So, I mean, even in those moments where you say, I'm not happy and I'm really having an honest conversation with myself, switch it up, do something else. I mean, this is, this is, it, you have one life, you have one life to live. You are completely the boss of you. Do what you want to do. I love working with a lot of different people. I love working with a lot of different crew people. It's just, it's, it's in my nature and it's in my nature to work for myself and work from my house. Um, and it, I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't trade this life for anything else. Well, I think that's an awesome way to end this episode. Um, if people want to stay in touch with you or get in touch with you, do you have an Instagram handle they can follow? I sure do. My Instagram is at Claire Friday, C-L-A-I-R-E Friday, all one word. Um, You can also check out my website, clairefriday.com, which also has a link to my blog and will direct you to Done by Friday, which is a bigger website that I'm developing um, with more exciting things to come. Um, And just, you know, follow me on Instagram, follow, you know, shoot me a message on Facebook. I am always happy to chat. I am an open book. I have nothing to, um, I have no regrets and it's, it's whatever you want to know, I will tell you. So please reach out and thank you for having me. 
Well, that concludes another episode of Hashtag SM Life. Uh, by now you know the drill, but just in case, a few things before you go. Make sure that you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it. It's going to help other stage managers find our show. Also, make sure to click subscribe so you see the new episodes as they show up every week. This podcast is presented by the Stage Managers Association. If you want to keep up with the SMA on social media, they have all the socials. They have Twitter, they have Facebook, they have Instagram. Definitely check them out. Also, if you want to keep up with me on the socials, you can look for me on Instagram at Morgan underscore Zupanski. On this week's episode of Hashtag SM Life, you heard from Claire Friday and myself, Morgan Zupanski. Thanks again for listening and stand by for more episodes soon.